Welcome to The Inner Game. I'm Gwen Garcelon, your host. Thanks for listening. The Inner Game is about how we nurture and attend to our mind-body-spirit health and how that allows us to play a bigger game and make a bigger contribution in the area of purpose that calls to us. And these are conversations with people who are committed to making an evolutionary difference with their lives from a place of balance and love and service. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Rebecca Wildbear, author of Wild Yoga, a practice of initiation, veneration, and advocacy for the earth. She's also the creator of a yoga practice called Wild Yoga, which empowers individuals to tune in to the mysteries and guidance of the earth community so they can serve the earth more creatively at this time of great need. She's been leading wild yoga programs since 2007 and also guides nature and soul programs through Animus Valley Institute. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks so much for making time for this. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so glad to be here. Well, let's dive right in to what has been at the center of my work and the why of this show, which is why are personal and spiritual growth needed for Earth activism? Well, I would say, one, personal and spiritual growth are needed for everyone. Right. But also (laughs) that part of personal and spiritual growth, um, from my perspective, from Wild Yoga's perspective, is includes the the earth and the well being of the earth, so it's it's um it, it we we can't achieve our individual you know growth or health alone in isolation. That the well being of um, those around us, including the earth beings, are relevant to our well being and and part of the picture. Um. Also, I would say, you know, Earth activism right now is, is struggling in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons. Um, it's probably one of the hardest jobs that a person could do, um, most of the time unpaid, volunteer-based, some of the most effective um, work that's being done, um, or, or by fundraising. Um, oftentimes it's kind of an upstream battle, fighting uh, laws and, and mainstream culture and what everybody else is saying you should be done or you should allow to do. You're, you're kind of fighting the system or fighting the way things are done. Um, it takes a lot of energy, and it can be hard to, um, to exert that kind of energy when you, if you're not well yourself, if your health is struggling, if your well-being is struggling. Um, also, another uh, challenge in the activist movement, I would say, too, is that there can be a lot of um, relational challenges with, you know, people that believe this and other people that believe that and this, this fight and that. And so it can be hard even when, with people who agree that the earth, you know, the well-being of the earth uh, matters, uh, that uh, how we can work together, how we can unite, um, you know, for that fight together. Um, and then another piece I'll just add real quick, too is just that a lot of uh, mainstream activist movements are, um, they're, they're kind of pointing in the wrong direction, you know, that not really having uh, solutions that are really effective. Um, there aren't a lot of solutions that are effective that are, are, that are being enacted in terms of, if we're, when I say effective, what to me what means effective is that land bases, ecosystems don't continue to be destroyed and 
species don't continue to be, who live in those ecosystems, don't continue to be destroyed. So if we're looking at that as a measure of health and wellness of the earth and how we're, how we're doing at fighting, you know, we're not, we're not doing so well. So how do we, it, part of our wellness and tuning into higher powers is actually coming up with other possibilities and other solutions and ways that we can engage, you could say, think outside uh, the, the solutions that are being presented. Oh, got it. Just listening to you, I feel sort of a welling up because I'm in the midst of that, as I know you are, you know, this work that's that is so challenging because you're you're needing to to really keep yourself bolstered and balanced and strong in the midst of, you know, oftentimes, like you say, not being paid for your work dealing with like not having a a formal position the way you know we've we've been enculturated to approach having a job and a position and you know credentials and those things and it's uh it is so necessary to it has been for me anyway to really draw on the strength of of the land and that relationship how do you suggest people start with that to 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 have the kind of relationship with the land where they are drawing courage and strength and and self-love yeah that's so great <clears throat> and it's a it's a big piece of why i wanted to create the the wild yoga um being somebody that has spent a lot of years you know two decades really in the field helping people have that kind of relationship to earth and developing that relationship with earth myself of the, what I would call a very nurturing relationship of feeling restored, held and loved in nature, as well as uh, a, a relationship where I listen for guidance and can sometimes be challenged or, or rocked by the visions or directions that I'm given, but ultimately feeling the, the truth of that or the, the reason why that's, you know, kind of, um, understanding why that's important, even if it's challenging. And then bringing that back to, uh, you know, it can be hard to resource ourselves in, in, a, in an empowered and healthy way when, when we're fighting for what we believe in and what we loved and um, in witnessing a lot of people involved in, in volunteering their lives and, and struggling for the fight of the planet, it seems like sometimes they can be, those folks can be, give themselves the least amount of time. Um, I always say they have a strong, um, in, the, in the balance of the personality, they have a, a really strong adult self or sense of responsibility. Um, and sometimes that part that um, needs to be loved, held, to, to play, to connect to, um, to spirit or soul, um, needs nourishment and can help fuel them. Fuel them. So um, I, I really would see there being a balance. It's kind of one of the main reasons I created wild yoga is sometimes when I talk about there being splits in the environmental movement, there is also a split I would call between the personal growth movement and, and the environmental movement to some degree, where sometimes people who focus on personal growth can believe, you know, that's all I have to do or that's enough, or if we just change our consciousness, then everything else will change. And then, you know, when I work with sometimes environmental activists, there can be a sense of there's no time um, for this other stuff. There's no time to listen to nature. I just have to keep, I just have, so, there's so much work to be done. Right. So um, kind of bringing those two together and saying that there's 
you know, you each have a such an important piece of the puzzle here of what is needed, and it's so valuable, and how can we bring together these different aspects and um, allow people that are doing personal growth to see that actually, you know, there's another level to which we can take this in our actions for the world and helping people who do activism see actually if we source ourselves in caring for our bodies and being held by the earth and in that relationship, um, it can be good for your health and well-being so you can stay in this fight for longer. And also it can give you visions for, you know, what you can do going forward that might be the most valuable uh, way to spend your energy rather than maybe there could be lots of other things to do that might go nowhere. But if you were kind of tapped into this vision, maybe you'll get a way to move that will be sourced in in the best possible course. Mm. Yeah. I, and I wanted to ask you about love and being a love warrior. And and I wanted to share this quote with you because I bet like many others, we share a deep appreciation for Robin Wall Kimmerer of Braiding Sweetgrass. And I recently got turned on to this quote and it says, she says, knowing that you love the earth changes you, activates you to defend and protect and celebrate but when you feel that the earth loves you in return, that feeling transforms the relationship from a one-way street into a sacred bond. And I just would oh. love your reflection on the place of that mutual love in supporting us. Thank you for reading that. I just got chills. Mm. Um, that's so, so beautiful. I love it. And I agree that Feeling the earth's love back to us does change us fundamentally in, in, in a healing way. I believe that most of the time a lot of our um, traumas and, um, and hurts and, and even lacks can be related to lack of love. You know, in our body, it's like I call it the oxygen we breathe. We, we all need love as much as we need oxygen. And, and the earth is just here and just wanting, I feel like most of the time, wanting and to give it to us. Mm. And I believe it does change us at a cellular, biological level, at a, at a spiritual, soulful level, when we allow that love in. And part of, you know, loving, just like if our family was sick or, or hurt or needed something, you know, when we love something, you know, when we love, when we love something and we feel that something loves us, then we just naturally, by instinct, want to protect it and want to do everything that we can also to love it back in any way we can. Mm, it's so true. And, and how, do you, how do you help um, those, those earth activists to, to use um, this relationship in their work? So that the work becomes, you know, that evolutionary contribution, not just another fight. Well, I, uh, you know, I, I listen a lot um, to them. And, you know, I don't imagine that I, you know, know it all That's because I don't. I've been in the field a very little bit compared to some people. And uh, so I, you know, I, I imagine there's a lot of ways that the earth needs us to stand up for her, to align with her, to have relationship with her, to co-create with her, to take down what um, harms her. There's, there's so many actions. I, I know uh, Joanna Macy, one of my teachers, she named 
she put it into three actions, you know, the holding actions to stop the harm, the sustainable practices and, and visions and systems that allow us to create in a more sustainable way with the earth and the stretching of the consciousness that, you know, and there's probably even more than those three, but I love that she named those three because sometimes there, there can be a sense that, you know, my way, which, you know, a lot of my work has been stretching consciousness, that, you know, that's the way or that's the only way. Um, and so there's other worlds that I don't know about, other cultural ways of approaching. And so I try to listen and understand wh- what I might be missing. And then I also try to listen for what might be needed in the system or what might be missing in, in their system and what I could offer that would give them the support, you know, that, that, that they need in doing their work, you know, in doing the work that they're doing. Um, I also don't um, assume that everybody necessarily wants to vision or, or direct, you know, that sometimes people are working on projects and those projects in the moment seem like just the right one to be working on. But I, I'm a door. I'm a doorway. I'm a portal. I offer a way to sit back and listen and, and uh, see if there might be a different way or a different approach that's calling, a different possibility, uh, as well as supporting whatever projects that they might be already working on to help the earth. Mm, beautiful. Thanks for that. Well, for those just joining, this is Gwen Garcelon, and you're listening to The Inner Game on KDNK. I'm talking with Rebecca Wildbear about her book and the practice of wild yoga that reconnects us to the earth. And when we talked earlier, I'd asked you um, what I love to ask my guest, which is, what is the current area of personal growth for you? And you mentioned public speaking. I did a, I, I just did a quick search, um, and the National Institutes of Mental Health are still reporting that 75% of people still um, choose uh, public speaking as their biggest fear, bigger than death. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what are you, what are you doing to support yourself in growing in this area? You know, as you're doing more public speaking these days. Well, I would say one, I'm I'm just trying to um, honor myself for showing up for the conversation and allowing it to be what it is, and you know, ex- accept where I am in the moment and and what I am offering, and honor it and honor myself. And I also watch people. I, I watch speeches sometimes, either live or sometimes on the web, and and observe what I like uh, about their, the different talks. Um, I also do look up sometimes techniques or strategies, you know, from from different people that are doing that kind of work to see what they're doing. I'm always curious to learn. I'm kind of a lifelong learner. One of my friends who colleagues once said, that's something about you is you're always wanting to learn something, something new. And so I, I do. I always love to learn. So, yeah, I try to learn a little bit more about how I could be better. Communication in general is something that's kind of got me into the book writing. Communication in general is something I find that is I have a passion about when we're trying to communicate something that hasn't been spoken or maybe something that other people can't see, you know, trying to find a way to present it so that we actually change people's perceptions or way of things or open up worlds to other people. Mm. I wondered if there was... um... If, if there are wild yoga practices you are using to create that kind of connection to the earth that you really want people to 
start to open up to or deepen with? Yes, sometimes um, I do this when I guide too, but I will sometimes do um, the physical postures of yoga, even just for 10 minutes or so before I guide or speak, just to breathe and inhabit my body, just like I say in the book, to be in the body fully aware is to be alive. Mm. And I also sometimes dive into my deep imagination and feel myself connected to the mythic images that empower me and empower who I want to be in the world so that I can feel myself speaking from them or speaking as them or allowing them to be part of the talk, part of the presence that comes through. Yeah, that's such a beautiful one, isn't it? Because it, it helps you not to feel so alone. I think that's what that's one of the scariest things about public speaking is we feel so alone. Um, and when you can connect to all of those supports through spirit, through the land that are always surrounding us, it it does you know help to help you feel your allies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. It's not just me. It's all of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to um, talk a little about grief, um, something else people fear and avoid, second only to shame as the emotion people avoid most. Um, I, I've had a lifelong journey with grief, having lost my dad when I was young. And, and I'm finding in the last few years that it's really a superpower as a practice um, you know, it can really actually restore our wholeness, you know, and that's its purpose. I wondered what you're experiencing around grief in your work these days. Well, I, uh, in my work, some of what we do is invite the grief, um, honor the grief, and not just, grief is kind of this word that can include lots of different feelings. Um, sometimes people think it should look a certain way, tears, and sometimes it is that way, but sometimes it can be, you know, rage or it can be fear. Uh, it can be confusion. You know, it can be, there can be a lot of different ways that it shows up and are seeing our feelings that come as a gift and creating community and circles where we can express that, uh, not just talk about it, but actually express the emotions being and be witnessed by others and allow that being witnessed to impart inspire other people witnessing to be invited into their feelings more uh, to to honor grief as something that can that cannot that also has has visions and can take us somewhere can show us you know there's things that can unfold there's certain things that come to us i think by only being deeply in our hearts and when grief is in our hearts or strong emotions are in our hearts it's allowing ourselves to really be in those that opens us to direction and possibility Mm. i love in your book where you mention joanna macy's work with grief and and how she says that one of the things we need to be alert to is the psychic numbing going on with all of the challenges that are present for us and that it's the it's though that awakening of feeling that we may have shut down just so that we can operate 
on a daily basis that, you know, and that people sometimes fear having those feelings because they're not sure they'll be able to manage it or, you know, I'm sure that fear is based on a lot of different things, but can you speak to that, you know, the purpose of, of awakening feelings in awakening our relationship with the earth? Yeah, you know, chapter three in my book, I go into this quite a bit, too, because it's been my own personal struggle as well. I mean, I've been raised in this culture where feelings, you know, for men or women are considered, you know, less than or in the way or problematic or a sign of some kind of personal problem or illness. And, you know, shutting, you know, shutting down my own uh, and, and and then the need to recall my heart back. I mean, when our heart is not alive, when we're not connected to it, it's like we're not alive. I, I mean, I, I di- can distinctly feel that feeling in my own body. If I don't know my own heart, how can I guide my life? How can I go towards what matters? How can I care or act? How can I follow my passion? You know, when the heart is locked away, we're, we're in a cage and I think I think this is something I've heard before too. But how can we be responsible when we? How can we care about what's happening to the earth if we can't even feel our hearts? Our hearts have been so locked up. Yeah. So there's just it's it's like it's kind of like a beginning step, but it's a huge one, and it's not an easy one. If there's been a lifelong learning, and and if there's been traumas to shut down the heart. If our whole culture or our work is still telling us the the war's not over and I can't really feel my feelings if I don't have support, it's it's not easy, but it's so necessary. I mean, living without a heart is isn't living. That is for sure. <laughs> how how do we help people fear that less? Being able to bring the heart into our daily work and service? Well, I think it starts by if, if fear is the emotion that's present, it starts by, it starts there. That's, that's what's in your heart, fear. And I can't feel anything else. I used to, I used to call it, I'm familiar with it. I used to call it um, anxiety. You know, fear is a kind of anxiety. It's like static on the radio. Like you can't hear anything else being broadcast. So there's other things going on in your heart, just like there's other things going on, but all you can hear is the static. The fear is so intense, there's nothing else. But you can't bypass fear and just kind of override it. You just have to be with it. If if there's fear, there's a reason. You know, I would think, I would imagine that we all have young ones in us. And, uh, and I have spent a great deal of time with what I call my scared little girl. And she's wonderful. I, I love her. I don't look down on her or think she's less than. She's actually taught me to nurture myself a lot more than I would have. I might have just bypassed and, you know, been so brave and gone, gone through things, but she's helped me slow down and, and tend and listen within. So, mm. you know, our, our fears have, have gifts to teach us too. You know, fear is a, a natural response to something that's dangerous, you know, that might not be healthy. And, and we also have fears that are irrational too, but it's hard to be able to tell what's what if we just if fear is the only thing going on, and then our major strategy is to just bypass it and or you know just keep going on in, in a sort of rote way. 
So the first step would just be tending, tending to the fear and trying to understand it more. And then, you know, of course, still trying to track if there's any other possible emotions that might come through besides fear and being curious about that. Mm, that's so helpful. Thank you so much, Rebecca. This has been just a, an awesome conversation. And I want people to know that they can connect with you through your website, which is RebeccaWildBear.com. And thanks, everyone, for listening today. If you have a question for Rebecca or me, you can also join the Facebook page at The Inner Game. And we'd love to hear your feedback and ideas. And you can listen to past shows there as well. And yeah, so until next time, open your heart to the earth and let in the love there for you. Far away.